That was like a very slow <laughs> transition. It is great to see you. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here. And um, I see we've divided the room a little bit. Just I was just sharing with a friend. We were talking about going to different kinds of churches and going to ones where they divide the room. If anyone's ever been to a, a church where the men sit on one side and the women on the other. And I think we've done that today with like Stans and Davids and everyone else. So thank you for seeing that and recognizing that's important to us. <laughs> But if you are a David or a Stan, please move over to this side of the room. Um, I am, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to share a little bit of this, but first I got a couple things I want to share with you. The annual meeting's coming up. Who's excited about the annual meeting? Two, three of you. Uh, it's, uh, I, I am, I love the annual meeting. It's an opportunity for us as a whole church, all three of our locations to gather in one place um, and we, our annual meeting is an opportunity to hear what God's been doing uh, in our church and where, and kind of where we're going and really just celebrate together. And it's become even a, a really important thing in, in our church as we've become three locations as Hope Community Church downtown and uh, in Lower Town and here in Columbia Heights. It's been good because you get to just see the other people that are in our church and we get to host the annual meeting this year. Isn't that great? We get to show off this incredible auditorium um, and have people here. We're going to have a little dessert potluck, uh, which is what we are so good at. So we'd love for you to come. It is August 17th. That's a Tuesday night from 7 to 9. And because we host it, uh, we get to be the hospitality, the hosts of it. And so we're looking for a team of people to help come do just what we do on Sunday mornings, um, just greet people, help set up a few things, mostly set up a table. We, we're going to actually get to use the concession stand. Ooh, so if you've always wanted to work a concession stand in a high school, you can. Um, if not, you still can. So we're going to have coffee and, and be able to help with treats and then just welcome people into our our home um, from our other location. So love for you to come to that. Um, that's for everyone who's a part of Hope to come learn and see what God's doing uh, at Hope. So that's coming up. Excited for you to be a part of that. Also, as Jordan said, Kids Church is coming. Um, we have been working hard uh, to figure out how that works in our new space uh, to keep kids safe and allow them to have fun and connect and hear about Jesus. Um, and it's unique here in Heights because unique that um, we love to be able to sing together and actually worship as much as we can together. And so in our services, we still will gather and sing together and connect to one another. And then we'll dismiss kids to go to church together. Um, and we need a, a team of people each week uh, that will that's up for helping, uh, whether sit and play a game with a kid or read a story, or actually maybe you're excited to stand up and act out a Bible story or read a Bible story. Um, or maybe you're just like, you think, I could, I could make sure kids don't escape f through the door. Um, maybe you're just a good security guard for uh, kids. We need all of us. As Jordan said, this is a team sport. We are a family. And so um, starting this week in our weekly update, you'll get a, um, a link to an interest form, uh, which will be sent to our team that's working on this. Just so we know, uh, are you interested in helping out in, in all? There's all different categories of ways to help out and also all different amounts of time. So if you're someone says, hey, every couple months I could hop in and help, or maybe I'm really excited every month to hop in. Uh, we'd love to hear that. Or maybe you have a different timeline you're excited about. We'd love to get you to, to hop in there and help our kids. We have a lot of kids around, if you've noticed. And we'd love to, uh, to help them know Jesus and also give them a space. And also give families a space to be able to worship together here without having to, um, you know, color the whole time with their kids. So anyway, we'd love for you to hop in that. That'll be coming this week. Also, the signups for our hospitality team for our uh, 
annual meeting are also in last week's update and will be in this week's update. So that's the place to do. You just click on it, they ask for your name and email, and then you're officially signed up and you're officially on the annual meeting hospitality team, which is a pretty big deal to be on that team. Uh, I, we love watching the Olympics in our house. This year feels like the first year that our um, like whole family is kind of getting excited about it because it only happens every four years I guess it's been five for the Summer Olympics. Our kids are younger, so last time, I don't know if they really, we were getting excited. I don't know if they really understood what was going on or how incredible it was that someone just threw something far or ran really fast. And we have really been enjoying it, even just the first few days here. I, uh, last night, we were watching some of the Olympics, and we were watching these clips of like greatest Olympic moments. And these are people who are doing things you can't believe, right, that the human body can do. And they're sharing the number of hours they spend every day training for it, and the number of calories they have to burn in order to do this, and the, and the years they've been doing it. And then also just how like they were built a certain way. God just made them a certain height and weight and strength and build that you kind of just have to be that too in order to do this. And then they're like literally the fastest person in the world or the strongest person in category. And we were watching last night kind of in awe we're watching some uh, men's gymnastics. I cannot believe how strong uh, these men were. Uh, and watching clips of women's gymnastics. And I'm in awe. And I had a moment that we're watching TV. This is happening. I think, wow, all this work, these people. And I kind of, I don't know if you've had this, it reminisce a little bit. I think, oh, I think if I had started in high school, I could be there right now, <laughs> which isn't true. Uh, I think, and I kind of have it like, man, I, what could, I could do this. What would it have taken? What have I done with my life? And I look down, I'm watching TV, and I kind of out of the corner of my eye, uh, you know, my diet Mountain Dew passed by. And then I had this, this reality moment of like, I'm on my couch <laughs> drinking a diet Mountain Dew, watching the greatest athletes in the world. <laughs> you have no chance, Drew. There's no chance. You're, uh, I don't think any of them have ever had a diet Mountain Dew. So I, I have this, this kind of, this feeling wells up watching. I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm in, incredibly impressed in awe of them. And also like, what have I done? And today we're going to look at a parable that I, I think uh, speaks a little bit to this feeling. Um, it's a feeling not just, I, I, I don't really think, I don't have an expectation I was ever going to be in the Olympics. There's a lot of parts of my life that I think, okay, how can I, I don't know, read more, learn more, do more, and just be better? How can this thing just be better? And I, I, I find, have to find different ways. And now I, I can just Google and find six steps to be the best at this thing, uh, or four steps to be the best at this thing. Or if I go to this seminar, if you pay a little bit to have this coach, uh, it, it makes me think of the, when you're in a bookstore, they have the self-help section. I think that section has over years grown and grown. That often it can be a very large section. And there's books for, to solve kind of every, every problem to help you build. And, and ultimately, what we're going to talk about today is produce fruit. Like actually be fruitful in what you do. I think when it comes down to like the core of what I really want, when I'm thinking, oh, Drew, what are you, what are you doing? When I, when I have a day where I go, come on. You got to get better, whatever that is, better at whatever that is. It, it often comes down to the fruit. In Scripture, we hear of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, right? From Galatians five, we hear, "But the fruit of the Spirit." This is what comes out of God's Spirit when you have turned to Christ, when He dwells in you, when He fills your heart, changes your heart and mind. These are the things that come out of it, right? Not actually like eating fruit, but just the. This is what comes out of the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. 
and it's joy and it's peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Is anyone singing a song right now on their head? And gentleness and self-control. How many days do I lay in bed and go, how do I get better at self-control or gentleness? And so I think really at the foundation, like, the roots of many things in my life that I would love to be, not even an Olympic level, just a like, okay, average person level. This is really, the, I wish the way I interacted with people around me came, came out of those more joy and love. I wish I could sit in peace because so many things I'm grabbing for out of me just wanting peace. Oh, patience. I, the second we had kids in our home, I learned you are not an Olympian at being patient. I, st- I still haven't mastered that one. Uh, I don't even know if I'm up to average yet. All these, right? I think for all of you, maybe one of these stirs up the most. Like that is a category that I, I'd read a hundred books if I could figure out how to get these. And so this parable today is going to talk about that. This is a ca- this is a thing that we hear uh, is all over, right? Uh, in the church, we hear often about the fruit of the spirit. And often it comes like in, speaking of kids' church, it comes kind of in kids' stuff. We love this, right? These like books about the fruit of the spirit. And of course, there's hundreds of t-shirts about the fruit of the spirit, how, you know, that look like this, that I couldn't, there's no way I could wear this shirt. <laughs> look at this incredible shirt. This, this is my favorite fruit of the spirit shirt that I found. It just says self-control. I think if I saw a guy walking by me, that a shirt just said self-control, <laughs> I might walk a little farther away from <laughs> Why are you wearing a shirt that just says self? Like, what are you going to do? Do you need that? Do you have a lot of that? I don't know what, that's a wild shirt. I don't know. You can buy this though somewhere. This idea of self-control, uh, of peace, of patience, we want these things. And I love, um, Eugene Peterson uh, is the person who wrote The Message, which is a very paraphrased version of the Bible. I love his heart though. He has this way of talking uh, about these things. And he actually uh, has this passage in Galatians, this, this section in Galatians, he explains these two things that we live in this like uh, category of it's like kind of all about us and things we pursue in this category. Like what does it look like if this fruit of the spirit is in you? And I like the way he says it because I think this gives me words to really what's happening, where I'm, what I'm seeing that I, that I don't want and what I'm seeing that I do want. So I just want to read through this to get us thinking, what, what's the solution to this? And then Jesus is going to tell us this parable I think will help. My counsel is this. This is from Galatians. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there's a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two things, these two ways of life are antithetical so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another by according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of the law-dominated existence? I love that phrase. The erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. Then he goes on to kind of explain what these two look like. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your way all the time. It's repetitive, loveless. It's cheap sex, a stinking culmination of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, and impotence to love or be loved 
divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. How about that? The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into, he like explains social media in one perfect phrase there. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Please don't though. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know, if you use your freedom this way, you'll not inherit God's kingdom. And then he explains the fruit of the spirit. But we have this other thing, this fruit that could grow. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that the basic holiness permeates things in the people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That's how he explains self-control. I love that. Able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. So I I would like to be a person who sees these things in my life. Not not just because I want to be liked or are nice, but this is really life. He really described death and life here. And so today's parable gets at that. We're in a series in the parables, and today we get to get into Luke 13. So if you have a Bible... Uh, You can open to Luke 13. This is the parable we're going to be looking at today. They call it the parable of the barren fig tree. So we can talk about a fig tree today. And this this is set up by an interesting moment uh, that Jesus is having with some people that he's around. So this is Luke 13. Uh, We're going to start right in, in verse number one. Now there are some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. That just goes right after it. He's sharing about this moment that just had happened around them where Pilate had ordered to kill people and there was a a group of people really killed, massacred uh, in the temple so that their blood, that's what the the phrase here means, their blood was actually spilled in the temple. So not only uh, these were Jewish people, they were killed, but also they were killed uh, while worshiping or sacrificing, which just made it even even worse. So he says, now, remember this just happened? And Jesus' answer, he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. So he's asking, do you think they were killed because somehow they sinned more? They were just worse people and they, in a sense, almost deserved this. He says, no. Jesus says, I tell you no. That's not why. But unless you repent, you too will perish. He says, you have to turn to God because you're, you're too going to die you're going to perish. Or these 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And he gives this other example. He says there was these uh, Jewish people who were killed in the temple. And you know what? There's also these other people that, that were Gentiles. They weren't even in the family of God, but this kind of natural disaster happened, this thing out of control. It wasn't intentional. This tower fell on them and killed this group of people. He says, do you think they all died probably because they were sinners too? No, this reminds us kind of, if you remember, there's a moment where someone comes to Jesus and says like, is this child blind because his parents were sinners? And he says, that's not how this works. There's this connection that wants, people want to make of like, they were really bad and that's why they died or that's why they deserve death in their life. 
And he says, you know what? Even if you were a faithful Jew who was killed while sacrificing, or if you weren't even a, a follower of God, all of those is just tragedy. And this is what happens to all of us unless we turn to God. Now, this is a passage that's, that's pretty commonly used, this, this passage of repent or you will perish. In fact, you may have seen signs like this or experienced this. I remember the first time um, when I was in high school, I got to go to Chicago to the art museum. And before we walked in the building, there was a guy who came up to us with one of these signs, these repent or perish signs. Um, there was always lots of flames on them. Uh, and he asked us if we were Christian. He said, are you Christians? Because if you're not, you're going to hell. And I said, oh, I, I do love Jesus. And he's like, what Jesus? I said, oh, Jesus in the Bible. <laughs> and he kept asking me until he could find a way to make sure that realize it wasn't the same Jesus he, he liked. And so he's like, see, you're going to burn. Now what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't, I just want to get to the art museum. So I just went to look at art. Uh, but I'll never forget it because I remember the sign and the intensity. And you need to repent or you're going to die. There was this like fear that even for me in that moment welled up like, oh no, there's this kind of like angry parent. You better repent or you're dead meat. This feeling which I have for, for many years in my life felt when I, when I thought of God, especially God when described as a father, I thought there's an angry God and he's just waiting to find a way to wipe me out. He's waiting to find a way to tip over a tower on me. It's this repent or perish. I don't even know if I really knew what the word repent meant. I just know repent meant do, do whatever God wants or you're going to die. And so Jesus tells about, explains this to them. And I think if we ended our, if we ended the passage here, we might feel like, okay, now go out and make signs and we got to tell everyone, repent or die. Then he gives this parable that gives us a vision for what God's kingdom looks like that changes really what God's calling us to. And it really changes like the view of mercy and grace that's given. Uh, that, has, that has really blessed my heart. I'm hoping today it encourages us as well. So he tells this parable. Remember, he just told them, you have to repent or you'll perish. You have to turn to God or you'll perish. We're all going to perish like, like these people did. But if you turn to God, it's, it's different. And so then he tells them this parable in this context. He says, a man had a fig tree growing in his garden. It's a person who, uh, in, his, in his vineyard. There's a person who has a vineyard and there's a fig tree in it. And he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he walks into his vineyard, looks at his fig tree, no figs. I do know that much. Figs grow on fig trees. <laughs> there was no figs. There was no fruit. Nothing was growing off of it that like you could eat and enjoy and use for things. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, this gardener, for three years, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. I haven't found any. So cut it down. It's done. It's not, it's not producing any fruit. So cut it down. Why should I use up the soil? Why should I waste this piece of land that this, this tree is in? That's, it, it should be sinking its roots in and get nutrients. It should be growing. It should be pr producing fruit. Get rid of it. So if our parable ended there, it would, we, we could connect it to the, the passage before and go, oh yeah, 
you better produce fruit or you're getting cut down. You hurry up. But then there's, a, there's a, something that happens. This is the part of this I don't want us to miss. Sir, the man replied, this gardener, sir, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll till up the soil. I'll fertilize it. The word actually is not fertilize. It's actually manure. I'll manure it. I'll dig it up. I'll put manure all over around it. And then um, if it bears fruit next year, great, right? Then we'll have a, a fig tree that bears fruit. But if not, then, then you could cut it down. But give it a chance. This gardener steps in and says, hold back for a second. I know this, this tree is not producing fruit. It's not, it's not doing what it's created to do, but let me do some work. Let me do work to try to get it nutrients, to try to get its roots growing. Maybe I'll have to trim it a little bit. The till up the soil. Maybe I gotta, maybe there's some things that are kind of preventing it from growing. Pull some thistles off of it. I, I'm gonna do the work and we're gonna get this tree growing again. So, so what does this have to do with repenting and not perishing? I think first we just start with this word repentance and what that means. It will help us understand this parable a little more. This is uh, D.L. Block. Uh, I, I love his definition here of repentance. It says, repentance is not an emotion or a mere mental uh, assent to a, to a proposition. It's, it's a reorientation to new life. So that word repent actually just means turn. That's all it really means. Turn or turn back. He says to repent is not merely to regret things we have done or to apologize for them or to recognize a wrong has been committed. To repent is to agree that a change of direction is required and then to respond accordingly. That's why John the Baptist speaks in producing the fruit of repentance. This is also why Paul would speak of repentance and good works they produce in the same breath. Those who repent of their sin receive the gift of life. These are the passages that he's referring to in Luke 8, just uh, 10 verses, 10 chapters before this. As we meet John the Baptist, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He makes this connection between repentance and bearing fruit. And not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He's saying, you can't just say, oh, my family is connected you know, my parents were believers. I'm part of the group. He's saying, no, you need, to, you need to turn to God. He says the ax is already at the root of the, of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. This is a similar phrasing as we just heard Jesus say, there's a producing of fruit that's connected to repentance. And if there's not repentance, then there's death. And then we hear in Acts 26, first to those in Damascus and to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and then to the Gentiles. To everyone, I preach that we should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. There's this connection between fruit and deeds. So repentance, um, he's saying, is that if we are walking towards something, if I love this guitar and it's going to bring me all the hope in the world, but then I, I find out that actually isn't life. Guitars aren't life. I don't say, oh, okay, um, sorry, God, that I'm worshiping the guitar. Sorry, I, I really shouldn't be worshiping the guitar. Cool. I know, I shouldn't. Sorry about that. And then I run off with the guitar, right? I was going to pick it up, but I thought that'd make Jordan so nervous. He might yell at me, right? Repentance is a, 
I think you're going to bring me life and I will do anything to get you. And when I get you, I'll realize you're not really life. Maybe it's a banjo, probably more likely. And then I'll set that down. But I'll do anything for you. Repentance is saying, you're actually not life. And turning and saying, God, I, you're life. And continuing to take steps. And you might have moments you go, wow, that would be fun to strum that. Eh, God, you are life. Continuing to turn and reorient. It'd be in my household if, if I sinned against my wife, if, if, I, if I yelled. If I said, yelled about, I, your spaghetti is terrible. I don't know, that's a weird example, right? Your spaghetti's terrible. And then I said, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then the next night at dinner, I said, your lasagna is terrible. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And the next night I said, your other Italian dish is, <laughs> all I can think of is pasta right now. Your other, your other, your tortellini is terrible. I mean, that's impressive. All three nights, all those different types of pastas. If I just kept saying, oh, sorry, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not really repenting. I'm just kind of like going, I'll say sorry, because then it gets me off the hook. But if I turn and said, I I shouldn't have done that. I was, I don't know why I'm so angry about, about Italian dishes, but I get fired up. I should never have said this. And the next night when I started feeling that, I I did something about it. I said, this isn't, I'm getting upset about lasagna. And I shouldn't. I'd actually turn to her and she'd see growth. She'd see, oh, he doesn't keep doing that. There's actually a, a love. There's actually a, a life that's brought in our relationship because I keep trying to turn back to her. I keep trying to turn away from, you know, Italian food anger. And so he's calling us to this repentance to say there's something about turning to God, repenting, actually turning and continuing to turn to, to our Lord, that also is connected very, very uh, closely with bearing fruit. So there's something that happens. This gardener comes in and wants there to be fruit. He says, stop, I have an idea. I think if I do the work, we can make this tree alive again. I think if I, if it's gonna be messy and dirty, it's gonna be a lot of hard work, but I think if I do this work, this tree might come alive again. So we hear this, this story, which I think hopefully maybe you already made this connection, is this great story that I think Jesus is telling to Israel, God's people, hey, you, you've kind of been dead fig trees. You're not really producing fruit so much. And we want to see this fruit, but the way to produce fruit is to turn to God. That's actually the way you're going to get to these things, not trying harder, not reading more, not having the right expert talk into your life, but actually the first step is turning to God. And we find here then that Jesus gets to play the role of a gardener, which we actually see in other parts of scripture. You remember when Jesus uh, raises from the dead, he goes in the tomb. When they first see him in the, in the uh, garden, they don't recognize him as Jesus. They recognize him as, as a gardener. We get this moment that we get thrown back to the garden of Eden. We remember God as a gardener who creates and cultivates. And then all of a sudden they realize it's Jesus. We see God even create the garden of Eden in the beginning of all time. And then we see at the end when God creates his city, there is not once again, this beautiful garden and this tree of life. And again, Jesus is the gardener. And so he tells this parable saying, Hold on, to to make a tree grow, for fruit to come, 
If, if you want to see patience and peace and joy, if you just want to see life and not death, then it seems like there needs to be something outside of you. A tree doesn't just, just do that. A tree doesn't like use its limbs unless you're watching Lord of the Rings, right? Or Harry Potter or something. They don't like cultivate, till up the earth and, and put fertilizer down. This gardener outside of them does this, right? We hear this kind of language all over scripture. We hear this in 1 Corinthians. So, uh, he's talking, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God makes things grow. It's this, it's this truth I think we maybe all are aware of. This parable is reminding us of that. And it's ultimately reminding us that there is a gardener who said, hold on, before you cut down these fruitless fig trees, let me do the work to, to bring them back to life. And this isn't um, much of a stretch from the language we hear in scripture. We know that Jesus comes and says, God, hold on. I'm going to do something for my people. And he's hung on a tree. He's, he's literally hung on a tree like a withered fruit, eventually a dead fruit hanging on a tree, withered and fruitless, not because he is, because he's taken our position as the fruitless tree. Eventually plucked off of that tree and buried in the ground like a seed. And we know a seed waiting to sprout. And then eventually grows out, bringing life, defeating death. He comes alive. He is now the tree of life that, that death no longer has hold over. He's the one who tills up the soil. He's the one who, who, who gets messy and the dirtiness and the manureness of what he had to go through that actually now brings life to us. And he ascends into heaven, making it possible that we, dead fig trees, can now bear fruit. The tree of life who's our gardener. He's the sun and the rain and the soil and the fertilizer. He's the gardener. He's, he's all of it. And so he says, turn, turn to me. If you want to be someone who bears fruit, who has life, turn to me. Repent. That, that word repent right, has a lot of weight. Maybe already you've felt that every time I say repent, you go, oh, maybe the tradition you grew up in, repent meant just do good things, obey. Repent here means turn back in your relationship with the Father, with the gardener who brings life. I had a moment where this really uh, stuck out to me in a really unexpected moment. Um, I was doing uh, some premarital coaching. This is an actual photograph from that moment, uh, as you can see. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, I was sitting in my office with a couple, and we were doing premarital, and we were walking through passages together, trying to encourage uh, them in their marriage, and trying to I coach them into perfection, and they have perfect marriages. Um, and, and, they, and we were talking about their, the ceremonies, their actual service for their wedding. And they picked, any guesses what passage they picked to read at their wedding? 1 Corinthians 13, because that's the passage you have to pick if you want to get married. It starts like this. Maybe you've heard this before. This is a great passage. 1 Corinthians 13, starts in verse 4. Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not... Uh, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What a great wedding passage. But I very quickly could not think about their wedding. I couldn't think about their service. I remember sitting in my office and they read, we read through it and just said, hey, what is, why is this so important to you? And they started sharing why it was important to them. And I cannot remember anything they said because that week, just, just moments before that, that day, I remember texting with a friend who asked me how he could pray for me. And I said, Lord, I need, I, I feel so impatient right now uh, with lots of people around me, especially people that are in my home. I just, I'm so annoyed right now by things. I, I want to be patient. And he said, oh, I, that's, that's great. I'll pray for that. And he said, here's some things that I've done to help my patients. I said, okay, I just gotta, I gotta do this better. And I remember Googling how to be a patient dad. (laughs) And there's like just tons of articles about that. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna figure this patience thing out. And then I sit down with them and we're reading this passage. And the first thing this passage says is, love is patient and kind. And I remember this passage isn't really about us saying, these are the things you have to do to have a good marriage. This passage is reminding us who love is. Right? Jesus is patient and he's kind. He doesn't boast. He's not arrogant or rude. And then I remembered how patient Jesus was. I thought, man, all the times I turned from him and I run after guitars and banjos <laughs> and Italian food or whatever, right? I, I, I run and I run and I turn back and I repent, but then I turn back and then I repent. And I was like overwhelmed. I thought, wow, God, right now, I've been praying, teach me how to be patient. And I thought that meant you're going to show me the right book on Amazon about patience. And I'm sitting reading this with you and I can't even think all I can do is remember how patient you are, how much you endure with me, how gracious you are towards me. And it changed my heart. This is why I think he, he calls us to repent. Not, not repent, hey, I'm so angry. Could you please just do what I'm asking you to do? Otherwise, you're in so much trouble. He's saying, I so want you to have life. I so want you to, f- to enjoy these fruits and the people around you to enjoy these fruits. I think, he's, I think we really have to decide how we see Jesus. And that will cause us to want to repent. It caused me to want to turn to him. Do you... Do you wake up and go, okay, God, I got to repent or I'm going to burn. Are you like this Photoshop job right over here? <laughs> or are you repenting for life? We, we turn to God because it brings life. Not because we're scared we might get chopped down, but because that's what brings fruit. This guy's even wearing the fruit of the spirit shirt. This is incredible. Um, and so today we get to make this choice, friends. We get to, to, to say, am I going to repent because because I'm gonna die or do I get to repent for life? And there's one who said, hold off. Don't chop them down. I'm gonna do the work so they can still have life. Now there is a day that if we continue to choose not to turn to Jesus, death does come. Don't take that light needle, but, but I know you want fruit in your life and, and we want life around us and to bring life to those around us that comes first with us taking a step and turning towards the one who brings life, the one who cultivates the earth, the one who, who fertilizes it, who, who trims us, who, who causes us to have life. Thankful 
for, for a, a God who would say, I'm going to hold off and give you a moment, please. This is our chance to bear fruit. And, it, and the way to do that is to turn to the gardener who brings us life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up so we can have an opportunity to worship this God, so we can have an opportunity to say, God, yeah, without you, I will die. I need you. Life comes from you. A few things to consider as we sit for a moment and reflect. Do you know that Jesus has held off the wrath of God and made a way for you? Do you know it's being held off? He's holding it. He's made a way so you don't have to be cut down. Maybe consider what rotten fruit have you been producing? That might not be hard to think about. Um, What is that? And maybe what fruit would you like to produce? Look at that list of fruit of the Spirit. What would really bring life to you and, and to those around you? What should you turn away from and turn to God? Just, just one thing. I, this could be a huge thing in your head. You could say, oh, there's so many places. Just pick one. Patience. Open your Bible. Just look up in your, back your Bible. Google patience in the Bible. Read about how patient God is. Have your heart changed. And who do you know who needs to know this truth? There's, there's someone you know who needs to know that there is life. And, and God has made a way. And, and, and death doesn't have to be a thing. This is really good news. Let me pray for us. And then we'll take some time to worship that Jesus who has made this all possible. Lord, thank you that you are good. That you're this good gardener who would become broken, rotten fruit that has died so that we could become fruit that is alive. That you have, you give our roots nutrients. It spreads into our trunks and our limbs and, and you change our hearts. And I pray right now, Spirit, that you would change our hearts, that we would take this opportunity to sing these words, but we'd be turning to you and that you use us to produce fruit that will bring life to those around us and the good news that Christ is the one who brings life and that people do need to turn to you. Lord, you're good. And we thank you for your great mercy, your patience, your love, all that you bring. We pray this in Jesus' really good name. Amen.